everyone. Welcome to the Net Life Podcast with Dawn Staley. I am super excited because I get to flip it and I will be asking Dawn a few questions. What up, Dawn? What's up, Cheryl Swoops? Thanks, thanks, thanks for letting me flip it a little bit. And so I got a few questions that I want to ask you, if that's all right. Please. So as Black women who have spent our lives dedicated to the game of basketball, we know all too well how media comes into play. The past few weeks, a hot topic has been the coverage of player of the year candidates. Now, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but before I dive in, what do you think is the fundamental issue here? Is it is it race? Is it the fact that post players don't get the respect they deserve? Is it the media's obsession with flashy performances versus consistent dominance? What do you think? Or do you think it's a combination of several things? Well, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a combination of several things. Um, and I can only, and I'm speaking from having been in a game for a while, and have seen how the media portray certain number one teams in the country, certain um, player of the year candidates. And now that I find myself being the coach of the number one team in the country and who I know is the number one player in the country in Aaliyah Boston, and it's a lot different. I mean, it's a lot different. You know, and I've seen the, the, I've seen uh, Brianna Stewart. I've seen that campaign. I've seen that narrative. I've seen um, Sabrina Nescu. I've seen Paige uh, Beckers. I've, I've seen um, Kelsey Plum. I've seen Asia Wilson. I've seen it. Like, I've seen it, you know, right in front of my very eyes. And, you know, I, I do, and I, I've researched it a little bit. I've talked to different people who've worked at ESPN, um, because basically ESPN, they are the decision makers of women's basketball or men's basketball or whatever. But I want to speak specifically to women's basketball and they choose. They choose who is going to be the person, the team. And it doesn't matter what's happening out there on the floor or if that team is is no longer the the team and, but they don't pivot. They don't pivot enough in, in my opinion. So it's, it's all of that. And can you look at the race of the, the different players and teams and, and, yeah. you know, you can assume. Yeah. You know, but it's different. You know, I, I don't think we're being covered as, as much as other number one teams in the country have been covered and we get our fair share I'm not really looking, though. I'm not really looking for us as the number one team in the country. I am, however, am looking at Aaliyah Boston as a national player of the year um, because I know what she's done. I know what she's doing, and I, she's done it um, at a at a consistent basis. And I've I've yes. I've had people on this damn sorry, I've had people on this podcast. <laughs> Um, like a uh, Carla Williams, who is the, you know, she's the, the first black female AD power five. Yeah. She said production matters. 
That's what she said. In the whole scheme of things. And I, I have to recycle her phrase, production matters. And when you look at what Aaliyah Boston has been able to do all season long against the very best in our game. Yeah. And she's, I mean, she's taking it up a notch. Her, her, her season average and points and rebounds and probably block shots are up against all the ranked teams and they are versus the non-ranked teams. So I just feel like I had to speak out on it because if she didn't get it, and, and, and people follow a narrative. Yeah, listen. So, yes, people well, follow a narrative. I know, I know you probably have a lot you can say about it. So I, I want to dive in because I'm just a fan. Yes, I love me some Don Staley, but I'm a fan of the game. And I, I appreciate good talent. I appreciate good basketball. I, I think there are several things, right? I'm going to go back to, I watched your podcast when you had Muffet on and Muffet talked about the same thing you just said, ESPN basically runs and controls men's basketball too, but women's basketball and what's being put out there, what's being talked about, who's being promoted. So Muffet mentioned, if you want to see the women's game grow and, and, Basketball players, female basketball players, you have to talk about and promote more than just UConn, right? And we all understand what UConn has done, who UConn is. They, they've been at the top for so long. And so now I'm, I'm going to say this because this is what I feel. So Dawn Staley is the head coach of South Carolina Gamecocks. Don Staley is a black woman. Don Staley's team is a black team. That's the majority of your team. To me, that's not that's not what UConn. I mean, ESPN wants to promote. That's not what they want to talk about. And so I feel because of that, Aaliyah Boston, and I am my opinion, she is player of the year. But I think that's why Aaliyah Boston is not getting talked about, promoted as much because of those two things I just said. And, and so I, I got into, I guess you can call it a heated debate on Twitter. I don't know. It wasn't heated for me. But so if you put something in, in the atmosphere and on social media and you're asking a question and it's up for debate, it's out there for anybody to respond to. So the question was basically, Higher ups are saying Caitlin Clark is the player of the year. Now, I know who those higher ups are. So I responded and said, I, th- I like Caitlin Clark's scoring ability, right? She can shoot the basketball. But then I said, who is the number one team in the country? It's South Carolina. But nobody's talking about that. And who is... The play you have several players, but Aaliyah Boston, Don, you your your strength of schedule is better. You're in a tougher conference. Aaliyah Boston is a post player who is on the block, who is getting double team, sometimes triple team nightly, and she still manages to come through for her team. She's battling 
as you just said, some of the best post players out there every single night. And she's still producing. She's averaging a freaking double double. But if you if you can't look at that and appreciate everything that she brings and everything that she does for her team night in and night out, there's got to be something behind that. Right. And it's not to take anything away from Caitlin Clark. I, I, I think she scores the basketball. But to me, when you talk about player of the year candidates, when when Brianna Stewart was at UConn and they were the number one team, that's all you heard about was Brianna Stewart. So why is it that you're not hearing that about Aaliyah Boston? Let me just say this, because we just played in a game on um, ABC, which was a lot different than your normal telecast, which is ESPN or ESPN2 or the SEC Network. College Game Day came mm-hmm. to our campus and everyone asked, you know, what did I think? And I said, the decision makers of our game pivoted. And that's something that they they haven't sure. done in the past. And it's, it means growth. It truly means growth. Now, I, I really haven't had a chance to watch the telecast because I forgot to record it. And I didn't record game day either. But from what I what I hear and see on social media, I think it was a love fest with Aaliyah Boston, which, you know, I I think she deserves it. But I also don't want to be a part of history that the, the same old history that says, you know, that because Aaliyah Boston is on the number one team that she should be player of the year. I'm all for raising up our game. Like I want our game to be different. I don't want to have the same storylines. I don't want to be a part of a narrative that only speaks about, you know, one player. I mean, I got to speak about Leah Boston because honestly, I don't, I don't trust the system. I don't trust the process. I don't, I don't because it really hasn't worked out in our favor, but I want to give credit where credit is due. Um, I don't want to be a, a, a one person um, narrative when our game is comprised of so many great players, Caitlin sure. included, like Caitlin won the Dawn's no Award. Heck, she might win it again, like back to back. So it's, I don't want people thinking that we're stepping on Caitlin to lift up Aaliyah. It right. is like, it is like, let's talk about Caitlin. Let's talk about Aaliyah. Let's talk about the young lady at DePaul. I think her name is uh, Anissa Morrow. I mean, mm. she's had 20 straight double doubles. Um, let's talk about Nalissa Smith, who's at Baylor. Um, let's talk about Haley Jones and Cameron Brink at, at Stanford. Okay, let's talk about Adia Barnes and the, the great job that she's doing. Let's talk yeah. about Florida, uh, who's had Florida Gators who are having a tremendous season under an interim coach. I mean, she's got the interim tag to her name when I think, I, I mean, somebody gave me some stats yesterday on their team. They, I think in the history of their, their program, I think only three, three times did they, did they have double digit wins in our conference. And I could be wrong, wow. but, but, but it, wow. it is, it is that like, there's room to talk about every body our great our game has grown enough no, it has for sure 
to to get off a a one track narrative. So and I, I think it's great that you and I having these discussions because it's great for our game to, to feel the uncomfortableness of what we're feeling. It's good. I've said it time and time again. Growth takes place when you're the most uncomfortable. Comfortable. And we for need sure. to make women's sure. basketball uncomfortable and, and, and talk about these things because there are so many stories that we miss throughout our season that aren't being told and they're beautiful. They're, they're comprised of great, great players. Let's, let's hear about all of them because if you want our game to grow, yeah, like you got to invest in all the stories and all the people who make our, 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 our great game up. And to your point, it shouldn't be an either or, right? It shouldn't be a, well, let's talk about Aaliyah Boston and not Caitlin Clark or all the other greats. Or let's talk about Caitlin Clark and not Aaliyah Boston. Because to your point, if you truly are about growing the game, there are so many stories. And, and you just brought up Adia Barnes because I think what Adia is doing at, at Arizona is amazing. But, you know, the story that that people seem to want to talk about her is last year when she flipped somebody off or in a game this year with like that's what they want to talk about versus can we just talk about how Adia <laughs> is recruiting well she's i mean she's doing some incredible things in Arizona so but that yeah let me let me interrupt with that so here's the thing let's talk about it all let's talk about you know you know the the run-in that she had with Kelly Graves at Oregon. Yeah. Let's talk about her recruiting. Let's talk about her being a, a former WNBA player turned coach turned, you know, final four participant turned, you know, one of the Olympic. best teams. Yeah. One of the best teams in the pack. 12. Let's talk about it all. Like I'm not just talking about just the good, you know, let's talk about it all because it's part of our game, you know. You 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 look at what's what what's ha- what happened at um, Jawan mm-hmm. Howard and Michigan, Michigan and yeah. Oregon, uh, uh, Wisconsin. I yep. mean, y'all they're gonna talk about that, yeah. <laughs> but they're also gonna talk about the the, the great job that Zaga's doing. You know, Auburn being uh, the number one team in the country at a, at a portion of a uh, of the season. Like we, they pivot in the men's game a, a whole lot. I think we need to we need to also talk about everything that occurs in our game because it mirrors life. Like we're we're not a sport in which can we can handle we can handle a little adversity. We can handle a little bit of what no, people I, think is you can uh, the good and the bad. All of it. All of it. We are, yeah. you know, we're a sport and, and sports are are our people, you know, sports are made up of people and, and people make mistakes and people, you know, do good. Yeah. People, you yeah. know, it, it, let's talk about it all. Well, and, and, and that's why I brought that up because I, I have to really, and, and I'm a fan of the game, but I have to really go dig and search for stories, right. Versus don't, don't just post when when that running happened with Kelly Graves and Adia, right? Let let's talk about it all because we are all human, and that is that that's life, 
And those are stories that people are interested in. I want to know, I, I know more about you and what's going on in South Carolina. I feel like one, because I know you and I, I go looking for stuff for South Carolina. Right. And there are some teams where I'm just like, why, why should I have to really go dig and search to find out what's going on with certain programs? Right. So let me ask you this question, because you talked about the media a little bit. Why does it seem like the media doesn't take into account the strength of schedule or competition? It seems like player stats are so often discussed out of context in men's basketball. We know when a player puts up 40 against a bad team, it's not the same thing as dropping 40 in a top 25 matchup. Well, so I mean, do you go ahead? Go ahead. No, go ahead. I mean, I, I just I just feel like, you know, the the media controls narratives. I mean, it's it's quite simple. Um, and I, I'll say this, um, our local media, they do a, a, a great job at covering our program. I like a great job for years, for years. Um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like, you know, when we weren't very good, they talked about us. Mm-hmm. When we become pretty good, they talk about us. And then when we're still good, they talk about bad nights that we had. Like, you know, mm-hmm. what could prevent us from winning? Why do we turn the ball over so much? You know, how can we get our shooting percentage up? You know, how do you know, how do you get the end of the bench, you know, more playing time? So these are all the things that that our local media talk, they talk about. And I, I'm all for it because if they just talk about everything ain't all good, you know, we're winning, yeah. we're winning, but it ain't all good. And they are seasoned enough. They know enough. They investigate enough. They research enough to know when something's off with our team and they're pretty darn good at it. They pretty spot on. I don't think we have any moles on our team, but they, They are pretty spot on when it comes to, you know, if our team's equilibrium is shook. Yeah. So, but that's them covering us. That's them investing in, in all things Gamecock women's basketball here in our, you know, with our local media that it should be no different with the national media. If you want to cover, you know, if you want to cover our sport in the way that you cover men's sports. Like they cover men's sports with all the narratives, like all of them. It's not just one. It just, it just, it ebbs and flow with what's hot. But to your point, don't you think, again, local media can only, can only do so much, right? So, why why do you think national media doesn't cover South Carolina like they cover Yukon? Well, I, and, I think- and sorry, let me add, let me just add a little bit to that. And again, I know you said earlier it's not about, you know you being number one, therefore Leah Boston should be player of the year. I agree with that she should be player of the year because she deserves to be player of the year. I don't care if you guys were number 30 (laughs) and if she's the best player, she's the best player, but seeing how you are number one 
and I don't honestly, I don't even know what UConn's ranked. I know they're ranked, but they still seem to get more national coverage than you guys do. Why do you think that is? I think nationally, that's their comfort zone. UConn is their comfort zone. And they, they, the ratings are, are much better um, because that's who they've pushed for for decades and rightfully so. I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not taking anything away from UConn. They have been tremendous. Like they've mm-hmm. been, you know, the, the, the team of the decade. They have been. I mean, no doubt. Truly. Yeah. truly. So I'm not trying to downplay it or at all. But when you're so used to that, it makes your job easier just to continue that. You don't have to research anything. You don't have to look at anything. That's our comfort zone. And we're getting the hits that we need to get. We're getting the ratings that we need to get. So let's stick with this because it's, it's worked for us. And, and they don't really go back to look and see, well, it's worked for you all because number one, they've been winning. Mm-hmm. Um, no, number two, that's what we've created. Like we created that the media, cre- you know, the, like the media created UConn. I mean, UConn got the wins and they've been very good and very, very successful. And if if ESPN and the media didn't cover them, we would never know about it. But because they have, it, it gave them an extra bump to be, you know, to be known as the greatest, the greatest of all time. UConn hasn't won a national championship in, I don't know, four or five years. Yeah. And there are some other teams that have have won and some other teams that have been been pretty darn good in our game. One, one being the South Carolina Gamecocks. Um, and it's it's hard. It's hard to change. I think they are creatures of habits, like, uh, habit like we are. Like we're creatures of habit. Like I, you know, I have a routine during the season that I go by, I'm, I'm religious, you know, religiously going by my routine. Now, if somebody breaks that, you know, it would get, it would make me uncomfortable. It would. Mm. So I think it's, it's just being a creature of habit, but I think it's slowly changing. And I can say that because, you know, college game day again. Yeah. Brought the truck. And that was huge. Brought, yeah. Brought the truck, brought the stage, brought the, the talent the personalities and came to Columbia, South Carolina. And then they got a, they got what they were looking for, which was yeah. a sellout crowd, an electric environment, a, a pretty good, darn uh, good game between two teams. And you saw the, you know, the, yeah, it's, the very, it's very rare. The college day, game day does women's games, period. It is 11 years. It took 11 years for them to come on another women's campus, but well, what we're able to put on display, we're, we're going to challenge them to, to come back. Yeah. We're going to challenge them to go to another site that's going to rock the house like our fans rock the house. All right. So, Don, for the last question, I want to know if you felt media came into play as a black female coach when you were trying to negotiate your contract. Media did not come into play at all because the media, um, they, they didn't really know that I was negotiating until 
our AD was asked a question very early on in the negotiation process. Um, and then it pretty much died down. And then the Olympics came around and then we, we stopped negotiating at that point. And then we picked back up when I got back into town. Um, but once it was done and we, we agreed on the, uh, the contract numbers, I think the media played a, a pretty good role in getting it out because it was historical. It was, you know, something that, and it wasn't necessarily, you know, like me attached to it, it was more of the, the number because the number is unpopularly staggering for, for our sport. A number is bananas. I'll <laughs> say it. <laughs> so, um, but I, I want, I want to let people know that there were times, um, there were a lot of breakdowns in the negotiations of, of my contract. It was a lot. We were, we were so far apart. Um, and then we just, we just banged it out. And I just feel like there are certain things that I was, I, I, I had to risk it all. Like I was willing to risk it all. I wasn't going like to, I was making a pretty decent amount of money before we negotiated, but I just felt like we, there was, there was this time to, to strike because the, the talks of the NCAA tournament in San Antonio, um, the women's soccer team, national team, mm -hmm. they're, they're in constant negotiation for equal pay. Um, and I had a tremendous lawyer who had stamina, stamina, because he felt like it was the right thing to do. And when you have somebody in your corner that feels like you feel, they're going to push a little bit harder. They're going to have, you know, uncomfortable conversations and they're going to be, a, they're going to have a determination to get it done. And once it was done, I made sure that I, when I spoke to the media, that I gave the media his name because I wanted him to get the credit for it because yeah. there, 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 there wasn't a whole lot of people that could get it done. He was one of them. Well, listen, as, as your friend, as your sister, as a former teammate, as I mean, an athlete, and honestly, as a black woman who has been fighting all my life to be seen and to be heard. When I remember that day, when it just all came out, right? And I was sitting there and I'm getting teary-eyed thinking about it. My, my first thought was, damn, not, not about the amount of money, but it was like, damn, finally, like finally someone is getting exactly what I said we deserve because I felt like I was you, right? And, and I think there were so many people out there even to this day, who were so happy and excited for you, but more than being excited for you, being excited to see that someone has recognized you as a Black woman who's very successful and capable of leading a program and a team the way you've done for South Carolina, 
in a very classy, professional way. And I was just so excited for you. I continue to be happy for you and just want to say thank you for this time. Thank you for letting me be on your podcast. And I just, I love you to pieces. So thank you. Love you, love you, love you, phone. On that note, I have to take a quick break. But when we come back, I'll be joined by my guest. If you're like me, I'm sure you've been hooked on a Winter Olympics. And one of my favorite podcasts, Flame Bears, highlights Mariama Jamanka from Germany, who is an Olympic gold medalist bobsledder. Here's a quick clip from our episode where we hear a little more about the moments leading up to her underdog gold medal journey. We had three German sleds uh, in this time in the World Cup circus, and we had two of us were, were pretty strong. And for the Olympic season, our coaches told us that they will switch the teams and change the brave woman all around because they wanted to have the strongest team for the Olympics because it was so important for us to win a medal after Sochi because in Sochi the Germans won no medal in bobsleigh and that's not good. It's not good at all. So they switched teams and it was definitely because they wanted to have one strong sled. Mariama's sled was not the top German sled. Stephanie Schneider of Germany starting just her eighth World Cup race as a driver. In race number seven, she had won by 2600s to claim her second straight gold medal and her first European Championship gold. Going into Pyeongchang, Mariama was in what was considered the second German sled with Lisa Buckwitz as breakwoman. As a relative newcomer to bobsledding, Mariama never thought the words Olympic champion would apply to her. But in Pyeongchang, Mariama and break woman Lisa Buckwitz shattered all expectations and shocked the world by winning gold. In her episode, you'll hear about her underdog gold medal and what it's like being a woman of color bobsledder and how she is an advocate for more women to join bobsledding. Listen to Mariama's full episode on Flame Bearers wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back and welcome to my guest, someone I've known for quite some time. He's a career guardsman, having joined the South Carolina Air National Guard in 1983 and having earned the rank of Colonel he holds multiple civilian and military degrees, and it would take me an entire podcast just to read all of his accolades. He's a lawyer, he's a judge advocate, and someone I know quite well, Colonel Carl Bowers Jr., or as I know him, Butch Bowers, welcome to NetLife. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you, Coach. Uh, appreciate you having me here. Well, we, we got a lot of topics, Butch, that we could talk about. Um, you know, I met I met Butch through a, a really good friend. Um, 
and I, I just have to share some, uh, some, some backstory. Uh, we first met a few years ago when, um, when, when someone defamed me um, in the media, and I won't say any names, but that's how we met. I, I just felt like I, I needed some representation, some great representation, um, because I, I felt my, you know, my, my integrity was stabbed a little bit. And um, this friend linked Butch and I up, and, and, and basically he's the one that keeps my life straight. Um, so Butch, can you, can you just kind of give us a little background on, on how we met and, you know, the thought that ran, um, through your mind when, uh, our friend Angela O'Neill linked us up for this particular, uh, situation? Sure. Um, yeah, shout out to Angela. She is, uh, one of my favorite people in the world. I think she's, she's, uh, she's just awesome and, and, uh, thank her for linking you and me up um, you know that that was about three years ago is that right but, but three, I, I think I, it was about three it, years it, ago it has it been that yeah okay. it will, will be coming up and uh, you know so the, the athletic director at uh, at Missouri as you will well recall uh, alleged that you personally you um, incited a riot and you know there was a there was a fight on the court as y'all remember and after the game he blamed you for the for the for the basically for the fight and that was I remember watching the game and I remember uh, the the after effects and I was like well wait a minute that's defamation you can't say that about about somebody without proof and there's no way in the world Coach Don Staley incited a riot in a basketball game. No way. And, uh, and so that's when Angela hooked you and me up, and we gave them a chance. You'll, you'll recall we didn't we didn't go in guns blazing. We gave we gave uh, the athletic director over there uh, an opportunity to apologize. He declined. I sent a letter, if I recall correctly, I sent a letter to the president of uh, their university. I had an opportunity to. Uh, uh, to apologize, they declined. So that's when uh, you and I discussed what was next, and we were both on the same page that we needed to file a lawsuit. And uh, you know, I don't want to get too technical on the on the legal stuff, but you know, in uh, in court, if you if you file a lawsuit. On, that's under $75,000 or less, then it can stay here in this jurisdiction, here in Richland County. If you, if you, if you pledge for more, then they could remove it and they could take the case to uh, Missouri. Well, I knew that, you know, <laughs> come on, what's gonna happen? <laughs> what's gonna happen in a, jur in a, in a jury box in uh, Richland County with uh, Dawn Staley as the, as the uh, plaintiff? I knew how that was going to turn out, and ultimately, um, they saw the wisdom. Uh, but it cost them. Uh, it cost them seventy-five thousand dollars. Twenty-five of it, if I recall correctly, went uh, to um, uh, Intersol. Intersol, yep. Yep. And so, you know, at the end of the day, we we cleared your good name, and we uh, did the right thing, and we did some good for some. 
pushing needy kids. Yep. So 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 out of that butch, um, a, a friendship was birthed. Absolutely. Through, through you know what you know could have been a easily avoided situation, uh, but but sometimes people are put in your life for for reasons that are beyond your control. Um, I am super happy that you become my friend and an incredible resource. I didn't know that we would get to, to this place, but we often get on the phone and we talk, like Angela will link all of us up and we have we have a lot of uh, laughs, but through through it all, there's a friendship that, that was developed. So anything that I have, any legal issue, and I don't really have a whole lot of legal issues, but I have a, an incredible resource. Which tell us why you enjoy law. Uh, great question. I, I, I like helping people. I like helping people, especially good people. Um, I'm very blessed with my law practice where I can pick and choose who I want to represent and what I want to do. And, uh, and I, I, don't, I don't take that lightly. And so when I have an opportunity uh, to work with um, someone like you, I mean your uh, your 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 character and your integrity and your calm but yet firm demeanor. Um, I, I think it fits with me, and you know. So I I just uh, I, it, it's been a um, I've been practicing law now for about 23 years. And I, I think I'm finally catching my stride, uh -huh. and uh, I'm a little slow, but that's okay. Um, and so, yeah, I, I like helping people, especially people that that uh, deserve um, and the the respect and you know and the representation. Well, that that brings us to a, a topic that uh, in recent um, times, uh, my, my contract negotiation at the beginning of our our season. And I, I have an agent who pretty much, he negotiated all of my previous contracts. And, um, and I asked him for, for this particular contract negotiation to kind of stand down um, because I, honestly, I, I didn't think he could get it done with what we were trying to accomplish, what, what I wanted to accomplish. And I just think it, it had to be done with somebody that was here in South Carolina, someone that really knew the lay of the land and the new, that's connected. That brought us into another situation where I, I reached out to you to see if you would have some interest in negotiating a new contract for me. And, you know, obviously you, you know, you didn't take a second to answer. You, you know, you, you were on board with it. What part of the process, the negotiation process, would be most surprising to an outside observer? Great question. A um, couple of things. One would be... I, I, I should just mention, because some people don't probably know, yeah. I, I signed a, 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 a new contract, um, a seven-year deal worth $22.4 million, and it, it's on the scale of, of equal pay. Um, and, you know, during the beginning of the, the negotiation, that is where I wanted to be. Um, not for any particular reason besides um, I think it was fair um, and I think it was groundbreaking. I think it was more so to help you know, other people in my position, not just coaches, just people, women, um, black women all across the country that get paid less than 
their counterparts. And, and it wasn't a self-serving thing. It was, it was more so just, I feel, was the right thing to do. So if you could, you know, if you can kind of answer the question about um, anything that would be surprising to a, an outside observer. Um, yeah. So I, I would say one thing is that it, it took a lot longer than I thought it would. Uh, it took a, a whole six months, and we were negotiating, if not every day, certainly every week with the university. Um, that being said, you know, I understand that the, um, you know, the administration and the athletic director and the board of trustees uh, are all involved and, you know, they've got fiduciary obligations to the, uh, to the university at large. And so they, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not criticizing them at all. You know, they, they had, they did what they needed to do. Um, I will tell you also that, that with the, uh, the folks that I was negotiating with, uh, at every turn, uh, they were always in good faith. We might we we might have had some disagreements, mm -hmm. but it was it was never uh, nasty. We were always working in good faith on both sides, uh, and you know uh, ultimately we were able to get it done. And you know one of the one of the things to me that that is astonishing in this day and age is that over that entire six month period, zero leaks. <laughs> Zero leaks, right? Nobody, nobody knew about it until it was happening, and that was—I uh, was proud of that that part of it. Um, and so, but that was what, to me, the the length of time that it took. <coughs> it, as as an outsider, I would say, why did it take six months to do the right thing? Mm -hmm. And you know, and and I would tell you that that it was um, an honor and a privilege to fight this fight because it needed to be fought. And you were the person who was able to um, carry that banner. You were the person, the right time, at the right place, uh, and, the, and the, right, uh, uh, the right fight. And I was, again, just honored to be, uh, to be, your, uh, uh, to be your sword so that we could, we could get through it. In, in your opinion, do you think it, it could have got done um, with someone outside of being here in South Carolina? Unlikely. Probably not. I think we needed to have somebody in South Carolina, somebody that, uh, whether it's me or somebody else, uh, that has the, the connections, the roots. You know, I, I grew up here. I went to the university here. Um, know a lot of the members of the Board of Trustees uh, just from living life. And so, no, I don't think an outsider could have gotten it done. And, and the other thing I'll, I'll, I'll say about it is that, um, you know, my, I'm not, as you know, I'm not uh, a, uh, an agent. I'm mm -hmm. a lawyer and just a lawyer. And so all I care about was taking care of my client. I didn't care, I wasn't, I wasn't worried about getting more clients. And I got enough clients. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was just the right time and the right place and the right cause and uh, I couldn't, uh, I can't thank you enough for, for bringing me to the fight. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I just, you know, want to just kind of lend my um, experience in this. Some, sometimes you, you, have to, you have to figure out um, what the fabric is of, of a situation. And 
um, follow your gut. Like my, my, my gut told me that my current agent was probably too close to the situation, like really close. I mean, um, oh, I've been here for 14 years and I've had, I don't know, five or six other contract negotiations and they've, they've built up a rapport. Um, when the push and pull, I know when he, when the push, um, Ray Tanner, when the pull, and I thought they, they built that. And I just thought it was kind of too close, you know, for, for something like this. And I, you know, I, um, you know, I, I just followed my gut and, and, and reached out to you. And I know that uh, you were going to, you were going to get it done. Like you, you never wavered. You never wavered. You you thought it would get done a lot sooner than it did, but you said, you know, you're, you're going to get what you deserve. And um, I, I felt really comforted know, knowing that. Um, and, you know, not only me, but just for what it well, what it represents for the rest of the country. So thank you, Butch. Yes, ma'am. Well, I, I will tell you that, that that was an honor to, to represent you, um, especially in this fight on, on gender equity and pay equity. Uh, I will tell you one one quick little story for the for the listeners. Um, I knew when I was going to meet with the athletic department for the first time on this. You know, we'd set it up, and I knew I had to come in with uh, uh, something with a hook uh, because it was going to be easy for them to say, "Well, no, we don't have any money." And that's you know that that was one of their arguments. I said, but we just we don't have the funds, and that's when I said, well, I got you. And like, what are you talking about? I said, well, there's there's this federal money coming down from you know ARP money, and so long story short, we got the the big elephant out of the room because money was going to be available, and so then we could get into the to the <laughs> to the merits of why this is the right thing to do, and. Uh, uh, I never, you never wavered, and so therefore I never wavered, and uh, you know we got it done. I'm I'm so proud to be a, just a, a small part of what you you accomplished. It I was just your your mechanism. Well, I appreciate that, Butch. Let's talk about your your legal representation. You're famous for being willing to jump in and defend high-profile politicians in high-profile cases, <clears throat> often when they've been accused of unethical conduct. Some of my listeners may be surprised that we are linked when you've been appointed by former President George W. Bush to a position and was former President Trump's impeachment lawyer. Some people might assume that you do this for the celebrity or because it's exciting and controversial, but you've talked before about how it was actually your father's federal conviction that inspired your approach to law. Can you share that story and how it still impacts you to this day? Sure. Um, yeah, so the very quick background is back in the 70s, my father was the uh, chairman of the State Highway Commission here in South Carolina. And he was a big Jimmy Carter supporter. And uh, when Carter won, I guess that was 76, um, when Carter won, uh, he made my father the uh, Federal Highway Transportation Director. And so we, we actually moved from Estill, South Carolina, where I originally was born, to uh, D.C. for two and a half years. And that was a, a, that's a whole other story, but that was, a, that was a life changing for me. 
But, uh, and so anyway, we came back to Columbia and he was thinking about, um, uh, uh, my dad was, was thinking about a political future. And then some uh, allegations of, of, of uh, improper conduct going back 15 to 20 years occurred. And look, to be honest with you, I don't know if it happened or didn't happen. Um, I was just a kid, but I do know that, that uh, you know, he got convicted, and I, th I, I still maintain to this day that he got convicted because of political uh, agendas. And, you know, I, so he, he, he was convicted when I was in the ninth grade, and then after appeals were exhausted, that was, I was uh, 17 years old, and I was actually at um, basic training at Lackland Air Force Base, Texas. And uh, I'll never forget, so we were in, in an academic setting and, uh, you know, in, in basic training. And one of the uh, drill sergeants came over and tapped me on the shoulder. And I was like, oh, hell, what did I do wrong <laughs> again? And anyway, but, but he was being nice. And he's like, you need to come with me. And we walked into another an, an, an office, and there were three other drill sergeants in there. And I, I was really like, this is not good. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, if, even if, <laughs> that's not good to have a bunch of drill sergeants looking at you as a 17-year-old. So anyway, um, pointed to the phone, and then said, that's for you. And, uh, and so I answered it, and it was my dad. Mm -hmm. And he was calling me to tell me, all right, you're the oldest son. I'm going to be fine, your, your, your mom's going to be fine, your brother's going to be fine. I'm going to go away for a little while. Uh, and he said, but you need to stay and finish basic training because this is important for you. And I said, okay, yes, sir. And then he said, I love you. And I said, I love you too. And then that was it. And then uh, I'm looking at the, the drill sergeants, and they were looking at me, and one of them was, they're being nice, like normal humans. And, <laughs> and they said, uh, one of them said, are you okay? And I said, yes, sir. And then the best thing happened, he yelled at me, like, get down, you know, and, <laughs> and back into that, that mode. Um, but I never forgot that. And, you know, if, if somebody is, whether they're wrongly accused or um, they, you know, there's an allegation that they did something, and look, I'll tell you, if, if somebody actually did, uh, you know, engage in, in uh, illegal activity, I'd never take it to the to the mat. We'd we'd actually try to broker a deal to try to get it you know get it resolved uh, the best way possible. But if if the if if there's a, a fight to be had, um, especially with high profile things, if people want to hire me to do, I'm all in. I'm all in for the fight. And uh, you know it's it's been rewarding um, to be able to to help people. I, you know one of our mutual friends. Um, uh, ambassador, f former former uh, governor Nikki Haley, uh, she was wrongly accused of a whole bunch of stuff, and we were able to get her out of it. And you know why? Because she didn't do it. <laughs> 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 and so, uh, so yeah. But I've, I, it, it's not for the glory. Obviously, it's for me. Um, I'm more of a background guy. I don't, you know, I don't do social media. Uh, I don't. Uh, I'm. I'm, I'm more of a results-oriented guy. I don't, I don't need the pomp and circumstance for myself. Mm -hmm. I just want to get my clients what they deserve. Simply said. What other people might run away from, both 
controversy and controversial figures? Why do you think legal representation matters, even for those who are accused of very serious misconduct? You have to know when you take when you take these cases, you might be taking taking a very unpopular stance. Um, how do you internally deal with that, knowing there might be millions of people who think you're you're doing it, what you're doing is is wrong? Well, during the during the uh, uh, the Trump period or earlier this year, um, I had a lot of that. <laughs> I, I had a lot of that, um, but you know what? That's I had some really good professors in law school. Uh, I went to Tulane Law School, by the way. Go Greenway. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, just, you know, stay the course and do the right thing. Um, and you'll, you'll never, you'll never be f sorry for it. And, you know, the, the, it was, to me, it was the right thing to do um, because it mattered and because I didn't think I didn't, you know, I didn't think that the, uh, I didn't think there was anything criminal, and so again, like I said a, a minute ago, if there was something criminal in any kind of case, um, and that that where the the client had actually done the the wrongdoing, well, that's a different that's a different story. You know, you try to you try to work out a plea deal that's the, as favorable as possible, but if there's something going on uh, that is where there's the fight needs to be had, I'm all there. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Did, was, did you ever read any articles on yourself? No. Never? No. So, you know, I, I knew the answer to that, but you don't have social media, you don't have any of that, so I'm sure. I can tell you, I've had enough people send, <laughs> send, sending me emails uh, and text messages, you know, some of them good, some of them not, but no, no I, I, don't, I don't need to read that. Um, so, but you were born in, in South Carolina, um, did your undergraduate work here at USC, and still live in the state. Um, what does it mean to you to be from South Carolina, and while it will, will it always be home to you? It's a great question, Coach. I, I, South Carolina is everything to me. It's been, um, yeah, I, I've been out of state for, like I was telling you earlier, uh, in D.C. as a child for a couple of years. and. Spent some time in New Orleans for three years while I was in law school, but this is always home, and it's the people, it's the uh, culture, it's the the weight, and you know some. But South Carolina's got some um, uh, some bad history, but I think we're improving, and if if I can be part of that uh, that move to get us to where we need to be, then uh, I'm I'm never going to leave. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Butch, got a question for you. Mm -hmm. How many how many women's basketball games have you attended? This year or ever? Ever. Hundreds? Hundreds. Hundreds means that you were coming to the games prior to you representing me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember, um, oh my gosh, I can remember coming downtown because we lived in Irmo in, in uh, Columbia, and I can remember um, Nancy, what was her name? Wilson. Na Nancy, Nancy Wilson. Wilson. Yep. yep. Oh, and the great Nancy yep. Wilson. She yep. just got inducted into the uh, South Carolina Hall of Fame, Sports Hall of Fame. And I remember, um, I don't know, I, I remember uh, Magic Johnson's uh, mm -hmm. sister. Yep. 
Yep, she yep. was awesome. So I've, I've hundreds. So you got history with women's basketball. That's awesome. I do. That's awesome. Um, and I've got uh, uh, my youngest daughter. We have four kids. Julie and I have four kids and two boys and two girls. And uh, Virginia is my youngest, and she's 16. And uh, she's playing at uh, Heathwood Hall. Uh, in fact, 6.15 tonight. You're there. You're <laughs> I there. Will be there. Right. And I, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll even throw the, the, the high school games count too, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> they do. The ultimate girl dad. <laughs> um, so, so Butch, I, I can't let you go without having a little bit of fun. Okay. A little bit of fun. So I'm going to put 30 seconds on the shot clock. We, we probably going to go beyond that, but okay, good. it's my podcast, so I can do whatever I want to do. <laughs> Let's see how well we can get to know you in, in 30 seconds. Okay. Okay. Favorite Supreme Court justice of all time? Gene Toll. Gene Toll. Judge Toll. Doesn't have to be a uh, federal judge, right? Hey, Gene Toll. It's just it. a judge. Say, say less. Gene Toll's a woman. Well, all right. Since you said we can, we can run over a little okay. bit. She is the ultimate the ultimate lawyer, the consummate judge, chief justice. She was chief justice of the South Carolina Supreme Court for 27 years, I think. She retired, but she's still working. Like, she's still working every day. She just visited our office about about three weeks ago. Don't I know it? Yes, absolutely. Fireball. And <laughs> she was, um, she's a huge Gamecock fan. Um, I want to say that she, uh, back, in the, back in her day in college, she was a Either a lacrosse or a soccer. She was she she was a she was a sports player. She still looks like she can she can she can get after it. Um, only one judge in in my twenty something years of practicing law has yelled at me. It was her. <laughs> That's the last thing I want to have again. She, uh, but I love her to death. She is um, yeah, Jean Toll. <laughs> Jean Toll, good enough for me. All right, law school habit that you still use most often. Be prepared. Be prepared. Be prepared. Um, best best part of the job is helping people. Helping people re achieve their goals, realize what you know what what they're after. Helping people. All right, now we want a like a real um, um, answer to this question. Not not we're gonna get we're gonna get outside yourself a little bit, Butch. All right. Your best USC moment as a student. That's easy. Legal. That's easy. Legal one. That, yeah, <laughs> that's easy. When they let me out. <laughs> I was not a good student. Really? I, so I'll give you the short version on All that. All right. Um, so I, w I went to basic training in tech school. That was, and then, so I started a semester late from my high school, uh, from my freshman classmates. And so I started Carolina in the uh, in January of of '84. Uh, All right, and so I get I I did barely any work, but I got a three O, and I was like, this is easy. <laughs> and that was black magic too, by the way. That, so I was going to all the football games. This was great. Um, and then I slowly started not doing well. And then uh, after about year three. Um, after getting a 0 0.09 GPA one semester, my dad was so mad. And he wasn't mad about- How do you do that though? Right. Here's, <laughs> here's how. You got four Fs and a D minus. <laughs> and my dad was so angry, not about the Fs, 
but who in the hell gets a D minus? And so uh, I had to sit out for a year. Uh, I worked for a living. It was not fun. I was like, I gotta go back to school. And so I finished the next three semesters with a 3-6 um, of those last three semesters, but I still only graduated college, I, I, I kid you not, 2.23. 2.23. Yeah. That's and, pretty good. That's pretty good. It's a pretty good come up considering where you are right now. It's yeah, really I know. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. But, um, but yeah, that's, that'd be my answer to that. All right, finish this. If I weren't a lawyer, I would be... That's easy. Uh, I'd be a um, full-time military officer. Yeah, I, knew, I knew that. <laughs> I knew that. I knew, I knew that was it. Yeah. Okay, last one. Why is South Carolina the best university in the country we got everything I mean from from academics to uh, uh, culture to sports the SEC best conference in the in the in the world um, yeah, yeah, the, the academics here have been uh, steadily climbing uh, certainly since you know I was in college uh, back in the 80s and uh, I, I wouldn't have gotten in um, today and so just everything about the university uh, is is just on on the uptick and it's going to continue that way and especially now that the university has uh, fully recognized that pay equity and gender equity and pay in sports is a real thing and matters absolutely all, all because of your work well mostly yours <laughs> Mostly yours. I just I just had to do a little, I just did a little bit. Okay. Well, on this podcast, I'm talking leadership, disruptors, change makers. It's hoops. It's politics. It's pop culture. It's the net sum of life. So before I let you go, I ask all my guests for some words of wisdom that either they received, that helps guide them, or they just want to pass along some some to others. Butch, what words of wisdom do you have to share? I always come back to a, um, uh, a motto, one of my grade school teachers, Miss Yarley, I remember her name, from 50 years ago. Um, and it still rings true today. And it was simple, do right and fear not. That was her, that was her slogan, do right and fear not. And I live with that almost on a daily basis. You know, sometimes I fall off, but we're all human. Mm -hmm. But that's, that, that'd be my words of wisdom, to do right and fear not. That's awesome. Uh, words of wisdom from the great Butch Bowers. And lastly, do you have anything that you want to promote or plug? Yeah, I would like to promote and plug the equestrian team at Heathwood Hall Episcopal School. Uh, my beautiful wife, Julie, is uh, the head coach of the equestrian team. Uh, she has um, uh, resurrected it. It was, it was dormant for years and years, and she has uh, done uh, great work, and it's, it's kids from you know, age six to 18. And uh, so, yeah, that, that'd be my plug. Is to, if, if, if you've got any equestrians out there, uh, <laughs> Heathwood Hall 
uh, equestrian team is a, is, a, is a great way to go. Happy wife. Happy, happy life. life. <laughs> there you have it. All right. Well, thanks, Butch. Appreciate you coming on. And um, I look forward to, uh, you know, seeing the equestrian team. Let's go. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to follow NetLife with Dawn Staley on Apple Podcasts. Uh, subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. NetLife is produced by Just Women Sports. For more great sports content, go to JustWomenSports.com. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter and YouTube channel and follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And this is Dawn Staley signing off and look forward to uh, having some great conversations.